the following message entitled, Good News for the Guilty. Part 7 of the series, A Righteousness from God, was given by Joe Ryer on March 23, 2014 at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Good morning, everyone. We're going to get started. If you could please make your way to your seats. If you have a Bible, open up to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. We'll get there in a moment. How many of you honestly believe Mark when he said that the Good Friday service is going to have seven pastors speaking and it will be done in 90 minutes? I could feel like the disbelief in the room when he said that. Uh, we're going to try really hard. That's, that's all we can say. We're going to try really hard, and we got it all planned out. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. But we want you to come, invite friends, family members. Um, we're excited to do this with a, a number of other churches in town as well. Um, like I said, if you have a Bible, open to Romans chapter 3. If I haven't met you yet, my name's Joe, uh, one of the pastors here. And uh, I am so excited about the passage that I get to preach on this morning. We've been talking a lot about bad news, and we get to talk about good news this morning. Before we get into the passage, I'm going to say a phrase, and when I say this phrase, what I'm hoping is you get an image in your head. Okay, so I'm going to say a phrase, and hopefully this will work. You're going to get a picture, a photograph is going to appear in your head, and I'm not a magician. So you got, got what we're going to do? I'm going to say a phrase, you're going to get an image in your head. Everybody ready? This is not mind control or tricks or anything. Okay, here's the phrase. Extra, extra, read all about it. Extra, extra, read all about it. Extra, extra, read all about it. What's the, what's the picture? Newspaper. It's, it's the 1920s. We went way back in time. That's an important phrase. The reason that's an important phrase the image you should have in your head is that of a young boy selling newspapers on a street corner. And he's yelling the phrase, extra, extra, because he has news that is new news. That's extra news. And you might not have thought much about that phrase, extra, extra, read all about it. But I want to read you a short article that talks about that phrase. The article goes like this. Extra, extra, read all about it. This cliché stock phrase from the 1890s through the 1940s used to denote breaking news, often shouted by overzealous newsies and paperboys. But what does it mean? In the old days before TV, radio, and the Internet, most people who followed the news got their information from the newspapers, which were and still are normally published at best on a daily basis. But if a major story such as the death of a president or the declaration of war, broke after the day's deadline, a newspaper may choose to print a, quote, extra edition on top of their regular edition. Sometimes they were short and carried only the story itself, but more often they were identical to the earlier main edition with just a few pages replaced. So these young boys would hit the street, and when they had breaking news, they'd sell a lot more newspapers. They, they, they would declare this news by the phrase, extra, extra, read all about it. Well, as I studied and read this passage over and over this week, 
that phrase just screamed in my mind. Because this passage we're going to look at is all about breaking news. It's all about shocking news. It's all about news that is new to the, the Romans and the, the time that Paul is writing. And if this was in a newspaper, and I was a newsboy, and I had a newspaper, a headline for this breaking news, this extra news, might read something like this. It might be extra, extra. Read all about it. Good news for the guilty. Judge punishes innocent son, and all the guilty go free. Good news for the guilty. Judge punishes innocent son. All the guilty go free. And the photograph on the front of the newspaper might be a picture of a courtroom where a large mass of condemned criminals are being set free. Their handcuffs are being taken out. They're handing in their their prison gear and they're, they're wearing their, their street clothes. And they are going free. And as these little boys are yelling, extra, extra, read all about it. As people come to read this good news, they find that it's not just true for the people in the news story, but it's true for everyone who believes in this judge's son. And that's what Paul is going to tell us about in Romans chapter 3. That good news has come. We've been for the last four or five weeks, going through Romans chapter 1, verse 18, the whole way through chapter 3, verse 20, and we have heard lots of bad news about the human condition, about human nature, about how depraved we all are by nature. And this morning, we get to hear the good news. And Paul did this intentionally. He wants the Roman Christians, and he wants us to really understand the bad news so we appreciate and marvel in the good news. So look in your Bibles at Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. But now, but now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, first hearing, you might think, I don't know if that screams good news. I'm not sure if I understood even what Paul is talking about here. As I was studying this passage, one one commentator said this paragraph may be the most important paragraph in all the world. Out of every paragraph that's ever been written in the entire world, he was making a claim that this paragraph itself might be the most important paragraph in all the world. And if we believe all that we heard for the last few weeks, 
that we are by nature sinners and deserving God's wrath, the information in this passage is really, really good news. But before we dive further, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have spoken through your word. You have spoken through your son. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you continue to open our minds and eyes to understand your word. Lord, I pray that this good news and this passage would strengthen every Christian this morning. Pray would give them faith and heart for the difficulties they face. Pray would give them confidence as they pray to you, cry out to you, and cast cares on you, and seek to serve you. And for everyone who doesn't yet know you, I pray this good news would, would give them hope for their, their present situation and they would turn to you. Holy Spirit, I pray your presence would be tangible. We, we would feel it and we would be aware of your mercy. And uh, Lord, we just love you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, the title is Good News for the Guilty. And the big idea of this whole message is we really have good news. There is good news for the guilty. And maybe the reason, if you didn't quite track with all that I read there, one of the reasons that I think it's difficult to maybe understand the the great news in this passage initially is because there's a number of big words in this passage that we don't use in everyday language. And this passage begins with Words that are, that are courtroom words, they're legal words. Words like justification and righteousness. They, they are intentionally legal words because Paul is going to tell us about a legal transaction that has occurred. And so I want you to use your imagination this morning and I want you to picture a courtroom. And I want you to see yourself in that courtroom. And... If all that we learned the last few weeks is true, which it is, the starting place by nature is we're in the courtroom. We got the handcuffs on. We're wearing our prison gear. We're guilty. As Mark said last week, the the judge slammed down the gavel, considered all the evidence, and said, you are charged. And that declaration, that charge is final left to ourselves. And all of us are being charged by nature. We're being charged. We're all guilty by nature. We're all deserving punishment by nature. And it's a serious situation. Left to ourselves, we we can't work our way out of this courtroom. There's no ARD program. There's no probation. There's no retrial. We're stuck. But then Romans 3, 21 through 26 happens. And there's good news for any and all who trust in Jesus Christ. There is good news for the guilty. And I don't want to confuse you guys. If you're a Christian, you're no longer guilty. And I I understand that. We're going to get there. But I don't want you, those of you who are Christians, to think that this is a message and a passage aimed primarily at those who are not Christians. Because Paul is writing this to Christians, to believers. And this is for us 
And this is intended to give you encouragement this morning. So there is good news for the guilty. And verse 21 gives us that first glimpse. And here's the good news. The good news is God has provided a righteousness that is not achieved by keeping the law. God has provided a righteousness that is not achieved by keeping the law. Paul made this brilliant case. By the works of the law, by obeying God's rules, God's standard, no one will be justified. No one will be accepted. And then, verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law. So if you're in the courtroom, you know you're guilty according to the standard, God's perfect standard. But then you hear the judge himself say, but wait, before you take him away, there's another way to be justified. There's another way to be made righteous. Apart from the law, there's righteousness. And your ears perk up. There's hope for the first time. You thought you were going to be eternally condemned. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. In other words, there's a righteousness that's possible not by our good deeds. And that's good news because all of our good deeds fall short of God's perfect standard. And Paul doesn't want to confuse the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians in Rome. He wants them to understand this isn't an entirely new idea. In fact, you get glimpses of it in the Old Testament. But in Jesus, this faint idea becomes so clear. That's why he said in the second part of verse 21, Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, bear witness to this idea, verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. In other words, there is righteousness in the person of Jesus made available for everyone who is guilty because of their sins. And God holds it out to us. He says there is a way of escape that you will not be eternally punished and condemned. And that little phrase, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the point of that phrase is, it's always been God's plan to save us apart from our works. It's always been part of God's plan to save us by His grace alone. Let me just give you two quick Old Testament evidences of that. Genesis 15, 5 and 6. When God makes a covenant with Abraham. He brings Abraham outside. He says, Abraham, look up, look up to the heaven. So the whole sky is filled with stars. He says, and number the stars. Start counting, Abraham. If you are able to number them. The idea is he, he's not able to number them. Then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. Abraham, that that will be your descendants, more numerous than the stars in the sky. And Abraham believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. It's the exact same word. Abraham was counted, credited as righteous, not because of his works, but because of his faith. Abraham believed God, and he was credited with 
righteousness. So that's an Old Testament evidence of faith in a foreign, outside righteousness that's not found inside of ourselves. And in chapter 4 next week, Bob's going to explain, as Paul argues from this passage and other passages in the Old Testament, that this was always God's idea and plan. Now let me give you a, just a, a more vivid description. In Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6, this idea gives, gives hope as we're in that courtroom, as we are desperately in need for someone to take our place. Isaiah prophesied, predicted, that there indeed would be someone who could take our place. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. But he, this one, he was pierced for our transgressions, not for his own. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who's the he in this passage in Isaiah? It's Jesus. And that's what Paul is bringing out in verses 21 and 22. Jesus is our righteousness. Here's some good news for the guilty. God has provided our needed righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Good news for the guilty. God has provided our needed righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Now, if you're not affected by that idea, that when I show the courtroom scene and describe you in chains, which is the biblical description of you, you probably don't believe it. Because if you believe that you really are, by nature, an object of God's wrath, enslaved to sin by nature, then when you hear that there has been someone who's going to be your substitute, who's going to be indeed your righteousness, who's going to gain access for you into heaven, into the courtroom of God, you're going to be forgiven and dismissed? Well, that's good news. That is awesome, incredible, amazing news. And here's the good news. It's for all who believe. Look at verse 22. This righteousness through faith in Jesus is for all who believe. Everyone. All kinds. Everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ. They are credited with God's righteousness. With Christ's righteousness. It has nothing to do with education, intelligence, wealth, family background, family dynamics, part of the world you were born in, what your last name is, how crazy or normal your household was that you grew up in. It has everything to do with Jesus and you trusting in Him. That is good news for the guilty. And here's my concern as as one of your pastors, as we interact with lots of you, 
We want those of you who are Christians to know how much God loves you, to know how accepted you are, to really know that you can pray to God at any moment and He hears your prayers and He comes running to you because it's all because you are accepted not on your works, but on Jesus. I think too often we slide to our obedience. So as a Christian, if we do something bad, we live as if we can't approach God anymore. That's wrong. The only reason you could ever approach God in the first place is Jesus. That reason will never change your entire Christian life. You can always go to Him. You always have access because that access is gained through faith in Jesus Christ. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Look at verse 24. The good news just keeps getting better. All have sinned and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All have sinned, so we're not going to be accepted or made righteous based on our works, but we are declared righteous by His grace as a gift. In other words, here's some good news for the guilty. God has provided our needed righteousness and has declared us to be actually righteous once for all. Once for all, you have been declared righteous if you are in Christ. Because the word justification or justified, it's a legal term. And here's what it means. It's the act, the one-time act, whereby Christ is credited with our sins and we are credited with His righteousness. It's a one-time act. We're in the courtroom. We got the handcuffs on. We are toast. We are guilty. And then God the Son steps up and says, I'll take His place. Credit all of His sins upon Me. And then Jesus says, credit all of My perfect obedience upon them. And then exchange occurs. And this is what theologians call the divine exchange or the great exchange. When this exchange occurs in God's courtroom, it's final. It's forever. And for every one of you who has trusted in Jesus Christ, it has happened for you. It's a one-time event. It's instantaneous. It's conclusive. It's irreversible. When you trust in Jesus, you are declared righteous for life and all eternity. So the gavel hit once, but it strikes again. It says, He is free. He is forgiven. She is free. She is forgiven. She is clothed and credited with the obedience of my Son. And so we are perfectly accepted by God from that very first moment of believing in Jesus. Declared righteous. Once for all. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, He, God, made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You hear the exchange? Jesus perfectly obeyed. Oftentimes we think we, we have been saved by Jesus 
is death on the cross. And that is true. But the truth that's being described here is His active obedience before He went to the cross. Jesus resisted temptation and sin in every way. So when He was nailed to that cross, that was a perfect man who was both fully man and God. And so His perfection goes to your account. When that moment you trusted in Jesus, you get His absolute perfection. If it feels like I'm saying the same thing over and over again, I am. I I want you to get it. I really want you to get it. This truth is liberating as a Christian. If you believe that every moment of every day, whether you're awake or asleep, you are perfectly accepted by God, the God who made all things. That is a great comfort for Christians. God wants you to understand that. And when I say it is final, it's conclusive, there's no retrial, there's no new evidence. It's not like five years goes by and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's go back to that case in 1985. I'm not sure I found some new evidence. God the judge says, no. No, it was paid in full when my son died on the cross. His perfection credited to that case. 1987, 1995, 2005, last month, all covered by Christ's righteousness. You can sleep well at night as a Christian. God is for you. You have God's favor upon you. And this gift, it's free. It's absolutely free. It is entirely, completely free. Where verse 24 says, we're we're justified by His grace. That means His unearned, undeserved favor. We deserve hell. He gives us favor that we don't deserve. And then He gives us it freely. It's a gift. Stop working to keep your salvation. Your salvation is secure in Jesus. Look to Him. Trust in Him. Rest in Him. He has done so much for us. And He wants you to rest, find peace and joy in Him. It's it's finished. It's once for all. Well, this incredible free gift, this idea that we are justified by faith alone. In church history, Martin Luther said in the 1500s, he said this is the the doctrine that the church rises or falls on. That faith alone in Jesus alone declares us to be righteous. John Calvin said this is the hinge which all truth turns on. Charles Spurgeon in the 1800s said, every time I preach, I want to set my table. This is the salt that I set my table with. Justification by faith alone. Why, why did they think it was so important? Why does that one man I mentioned earlier think that this paragraph may be the most important paragraph in all the world? Because this paragraph, this idea, it solves the human dilemma that we are fallen. We are sinful. God is holy. We can either try to work our way, which we know is impossible, or we can go by God's way, 
which is this incredible, free, unearned, undeserved gift. And the reason I I want you to picture the courtroom and picture you with the handcuffs on, because I know as the years go by, we can forget that scene. And so as decades elapse, and we've been believers for, for many years, we don't want to miss the good news that happened that day we first believed. When our entire account, we went from bankrupt, hell-deserving, to loaded, rich, covered, clothed with Christ's righteousness, joint heirs with Christ, heaven-bound from that moment forward. So as every, every day when we wake up, every night when we go to bed, as the cares of life just swarm us, let this truth just bring this bright light of sun into your mind that it's all okay. I am covered, clothed, and accepted by God all because of what Jesus has done for me. Still not convinced you all are grasping yet, so I'm going to read you a story. This is a story by one of my favorite authors. It's a true account of his life, and this is John Bunyan. He was a a man who lived in the 1600s. He wrote the famous book, Pilgrim's Progress. He also wrote um, a biography called Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, and this is a, a paraphrase out of that book. And if you know anything about it, you might think, well, he was this incredible man. He lived in prison. He persecuted for the Lord. But he was tormented for the first number of years of his Christian life. He felt guilty all the time. He had no assurance of his salvation. He, He lacked peace in his soul. He was a Christian, but he was a miserable Christian. And this truth of justification by faith alone really freed him as the years went on. He says this, But one day, as I was walking in the field, my conscience, once again nervous, that something was wrong. He feels anxious. He's worried. Am I really a Christian? Did I do enough for the Lord? What should I do? Did I say hi to that person? Did I share the gospel with that person? Have I thought of my mom lately? Just all these flooded thoughts are bothering his mind. This sentence suddenly fell into my mind. Quote, your righteousness is in heaven. I seem to see with the eyes of my soul Jesus Christ at God's right hand. And I knew that Christ himself was my righteousness. Wherever I was, whatever I was doing, God would not be watching for me to lose my righteousness For all along, it would be right there beside him. My feelings, whether they were good or bad, had nothing to do with my righteousness. Let me read that again. My feelings, whether they were good or bad, had nothing to do with my righteousness. For my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Now my chains truly fell off my legs. I was set free from my worry, the captivity of fear. My temptations also fled away. Catch that line. My feelings, whether good or bad, they have nothing to do with our position before the Lord. We are secure in our position and acceptance before the Lord entirely based on Jesus Christ and His absolute perfection. That is so 
good. That is so freeing. And, and the Lord wants you to rest in that idea, in that truth. Here's some more good news. Good news for the guilty. Believers in Jesus are justified through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We're justified through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's what he says in verse 24. What does that word mean? This word occurs ten times in the New Testament. And in all those times that it occurs, it's full of this spiritual sense that means, at its base, it means to be redeemed is something was paid a price for something else. So a purchase was made, and from that purchase, someone was set free. They were redeemed. So in a spiritual sense, that means when, when Christ is our redemption, He frees us from the guilt of our sin, the punishment of our sin, and the power of our sin. And here's kind of the cool thing as Paul wrote this. He's writing to, to Romans, to Greeks, and to Jewish Christians. And, and they would have been familiar with this idea of redemption because it was used in Paul's day among the Greeks that when, when someone was enslaved or imprisoned, their, their slavery or imprisonment could be bought. They could, someone could pay a price and they could be set free. And so it's a great word picture that when Jesus pays the price for our sins, we're set free. We're redeemed. So it's not just that in the courtroom of God we are declared righteous. That's good news. But we're set free. We are set free to live a life knowing and enjoying God and serving Him. We, we have an entirely new nature and new purpose. Not only that, we have power now. We have power from the inside out to not sin, to not give in to our temptations. We've been redeemed. We've been bought by Jesus Himself. And we've been set free. And Paul's going to develop this idea a whole bunch in Romans chapter 6. But just think of that. We were imprisoned, the Bible says. We were enslaved to our sins. And some of us, we remember what that was like. I remember trying to quit certain sins. And I was powerless. I had no power. I tried many times. And then Jesus came. And there was new power. I wasn't just forgiven. I wasn't just credited with Christ's righteousness. I was redeemed. I was purchased and set free. Colossians 1.13 says it this way. He, God the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We were in the domain of darkness. And when Christ bought us, we are transferred into God's kingdom. We were enslaved in this kingdom. We're freed in this kingdom. All because of Jesus, in whom we have redemption. All our sins forgiven. Because Jesus paid for every single one. Well, how's all this made possible? Paul tells us in verse 25. 
It's all made possible. This is what verse 25 says. This is my summary of it. It's all made possible because the judge's son paid our penalty in full. How is it made possible that we're declared righteous, that we're redeemed? Well, surprise, surprise, the judge has a perfect son who's going to take the whole brunt of our sin, which is what verse 25 says. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. That word propitiation means that Jesus absorbed the wrath of God that we all deserved. He satisfied God's holy law, God's holy judgment, and was credited with our sins and received the payment for your sins and for my sins. Paid for, absorbed. Jesus satisfied it. And when Jesus satisfied it, the idea, another word that's very related is expiate or expiation. Our sins were expiated. They were removed as well. So they were satisfied and they were removed from us. So if we receive it by faith, no punishment, no wrath, no eternal judgment for you and I. That is good news. As you go into this week, and it might be full of even worse circumstances than last week, take this good news into it. You will never be punished for your sins. God is for you. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said about this idea. God's people can never be, never by any possibility, be punished for their sins. If you are aware of how many sins you've done, that's a staggering idea. God has punished them already in the person of Christ. Christ, their substitute, has endured the full penalty for all their guilt. And neither the justice nor the love of God can ever exact again that which Christ has paid. Punishment can never happen to a child of God in the judicial sense. He can never be brought before God as His judge, as charged with guilt, because that guilt was long ago transferred to the shoulders of Christ. And the punishment was exacted at the hands of His surety. In other words, that courtroom scene we started with, if you believe in Jesus, you trust in Him, you will never be punished. It was dealt with the moment you believed. Your account was credited with perfection of Christ. And you will never be punished. You might say, well, as a Christian, I've done terrible things at times. You will not be eternally punished for those terrible things. They're covered by the righteousness of Christ. Now we'll see in Romans, Paul has things to say about those sins, but eternal punishment will never be one of those things. You need to believe that Christ really covers and clothes you, His perfect righteousness. And Paul just ends this section with this. He says, here's, here's why all this happened. Verse 25, the, the last section. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in His divine forbearance, He passed over former sins. In other words, there are Old Testament saints who are in heaven. And Jesus hadn't died yet. But God passed over them for a time 
because he knew Jesus would pay for their sins as well. And so at the cross when Jesus died, he paid for all who trusted in the future coming of the Messiah and he paid for all of us who look back and trust in Jesus. That's all Paul's talking about here. And then he says, so that he, so that God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So in the gospel, in the transaction that occurred at the cross, here's the incredible thing. God the judge stays just. He upholds his law. He didn't compromise his standard at all. He held tight to it. He said it is absolutely necessary that sin be punished. And all have sinned. But our God is also loving. He's a loving judge. So not only is He God the just, but He's God the justifier. He devises the plan where all our sin and shame are put on Jesus. And we're declared not guilty. That is good news for us. And I want you to be encouraged by that good news this week. So you go back to the newspaper boy. He's got news. Extra, extra. Read all about it. Judge punishes his innocent son. And we the guilty go free. Extra, extra. Read all about it. God's provided a righteousness that we all need. Extra, extra. Read all about it. This righteousness can never be taken away. Extra, extra. It's free for all who believe. Let's pray and the band can come up. Holy Spirit, I I pray as we sing this last song about these truths that every one of your children would experience your love and nearness and joy. And I pray you just flood them with memories of, of when you first declared them to be righteous, when they first believed. I pray it would give them confidence in coming to you again this morning and casting any cares and worries and fears upon you. Lord, I pray for all who are here who who don't yet know You. I I pray they would trust in You this morning. Even as we sing these last songs, they would go from mere words to reality and truth. And You would become their righteousness as well. Lord, we love You and we ask all this in Your name. Amen. You may stand.